Hey everyone, welcome back to Sit Down For Real, your favorite podcast about movies. I'm your host Dylan, and I'm excited to have you guys listening today. Today I'm joined by Hannah, Jenny, and Kevin. Um, and we're going to be reviewing a movie. I know it's not Movie Monday. It's just we had some weird scheduling things going on, so we had to rearrange a little bit. But before we get into that, um, we have the BTV Spooktacular that we are putting up another film this Saturday. So this Sunday. Sunday. This Sunday. <laughs> It'll be Sunday. You heard it here first. Breaking news. Uh, scheduled to come out on Sunday, not Saturday, my bad. Um, but we're going to be featuring which one? I think this one's going to be mine because we don't have a name for Camille's yet and you're still working on the audio for that. Uh, mine is coming out on Sunday because I have yet to finish it. And I looked at the rest of my week and said, I can't finish this before Saturday, so Sunday. So Sunday it is. We'll have the Millennial Ghost. Is that what it's called? Correct? It has a different title, but I can't remember it right now. So. All right, so the Millennial working Ghost, working title. Um, be coming out Sunday, so make sure you guys check that out, and then um, keep up with the um, horror film extravaganza, which we're actually going to be talking about one of the movies today. Um, if you haven't seen it, check it out. Uh, we're going to be talking about Black Swan today, um, an excellent film, one of Hannah's favorite films, if not her top film. Um, definitely an excellent film. I enjoyed it greatly. Probably put it in my top 10, 15. Um, so... Just add the little 15 in there just so you don't have to commit to it. I don't have to commit to a top 10 ever. <laughs> That's Every movie's in my top 10 or 15, so don't ask me for a list. But yeah, so we watched it Tuesday. What, a, what was everyone's thoughts? I know some of us have seen it before. Jenny, it was your first time. It was. What did, what did you think? I was surprised i guess i didn't know what to expect going in and i assumed i would like it because hannah has impeccable taste so i knew i want to be uh led the wrong path but yeah i actually i really liked it uh and horror is not not my favorite so yet yeah sure. <laughs> uh so i was very surprised in the best of ways Good. I actually, the first time I saw it, I was too, because I'm in like the same boat as you, not a big fan of horror, and um, Kevin will make fun of me for the end of my days because I love this movie but hate horror, and... It's not making fun of you. Get it's mad just, at me, whatever you want to call even, it. It's so... Pointing out the hypocrisy. Yes, it's much more of that and much more of, I came over to watch this movie a couple weeks ago, here, where we're sitting, um, so um, watching it this week was the second time I've ever seen it. But there are scenes in this movie where I was standing up in your apartment like an idiot, yelling at the TV, yelling at all of you, that this is a horror movie, and no one told me it was a horror movie, <laughs> and you guys say you don't like horror movies, and yet, well, we, we decided that it was at least in the top half of, like, of all the movies we've watched this month, this is at least top half scary. I would say top ten, top five scariest of the ones that we've watched. There's a few special ones in there, and we haven't gotten to... Some of the more modern ones, but yeah, it's not the not mad or making fun of you. It's genuine confusion. I I couldn't explain <laughs> it to you. I hate horror films, and this is just the exception. There's always an exception to the rule, so this is it. So Hannah, with this being like your favorite film, just brief like first thoughts for somebody who hasn't seen it yet. Like, what would you describe it as, and like why would you say it's your favorite? So. 
the first time I watched this movie, it wasn't immediately, like, really even in my top ten. But it was just so interesting to me, and the plot was so complex that I had to watch it again. And I've seen it so many times now, and almost every single time I watch it, I notice something that I didn't notice previously. And um, I've done a lot of like digging into the production of the film, and it's just really, really intricate and complex. And from the first 10 minutes, it has you. And, like, you have to know what happens. I just want to say that I know we have at least another, like, 40 minutes in this podcast. But you could have just said when he asked that it was perfect and we all could have stood up and left the room. <laughs> <laughs> I felt it. Yeah. It was perfect. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I do think that that's a... I've seen it twice. Um, so, and I'm not sure how many times you've seen it, but I think that's a good kind of piece of it. Aronofsky's a very interesting director, and I think this is the most, from what I've seen from him, the most, like, really focused and honed in on a specific thing. Um, I think it leans so much on the characters, and I think that's what brings you in so much, is just you want to see what happens, you want to root for them, and you're also terrified for them as things go, and, um, yeah, it's very, very good. Yeah, so I would say that kind of concludes our spoiler-free section. Um, most movies I'm not too concerned about. Oh, yeah, we're doing spoilers, but like this one is definitely one you need to watch before um, listening to the rest just because of there are a lot of twists and turns that kind of uh, bring you along. So just make sure if you're going on, if you don't want it spoiled, you should definitely watch the movie before going any further. So um, first, like in talking about this Greek movie... I think that it's important that we talk about, like, just the role of, like, the Black Swan, um, like, as a production and how it transferred over to film with a new idea. Um, so, like, how many people here have, like, seen the Black Swan Ballet or know about it? Yeah, so Swan Lake is the ballet, and it's traditionally performed with one dancer as the white swan and one dancer as the black swan and the black swan symbolizes the alter ego the uh lustful impulsive destructive very freudian yes <laughs> yes um alter ego of the white swan um who is supposed to be pure and good and um, submissive. So that's, that's essentially what the movie plays on, is instead of two dancers, uh, one white swan and one black swan, there is one dancer who has to dance both the part of the white swan and the part of the black swan. Yeah. And I think, like, I haven't seen, like, Swan Lake since I was, like, in second grade or something. Like, we were forced to watch it. 
Um, so I don't remember much, but I do like in like hearing the story over and over again, like as a child, like bits and pieces kind of is stuck with me. And like, I enjoy like the crossover of like, ah, yes, instead of having two different people playing two different roles, I enjoyed the concept that the film kind of brought in with the, like, we're going to have one role playing two sides. Um, and I thought that was really interesting and a nice touch and a great way to like start a story is like, mm -hmm. we're going to kind of not reinvent the wheel, but adjust it a little bit to make it a new story. I think I like how it acts equally as a kind of, and let me finish my thought before I get yelled at, like a kind of pretentious, like, um, reinvention by this, um, established, um, ballet director who's a complete asshole in the movie. So that's more why I'm saying pretentious, like just cause it's coming from him. Um, and then kind of diverts into this, like, exploration of the duality of the character. And I think one of the only real criticisms I would have is I would love to see more of, like, the duality split into everything. Because I think it kind of hits its point and then ends. Um, and I think it does it perfectly for what it's trying to do. I just am kind of in a spot where I want to see more. Um, but that's... That's what's most interesting to me in that film, and I mean, Kyrie and I have made a music video and in multiple other things really focused on um, duality and more of a perception sort of sake, like how other people see you, and I think for this movie and for Nina, it was very internal, it was about performing, it was about her personality, it was about her experiences, like it, it was this examination of her in this very confined space, because it all only happens around the ballet. Like, we get a little bit of a glimpse of her outside of the actual, like, studio setting, but even then, it's all very centered around that. When she's talking with the guys at the bar, they're talking about the production. When she's talking with anyone else, it's those are the only guys who aren't directly involved with the production the entire time she's talking to people. Mm -hmm. And so, for it to basically strip away any external setting other than just around this thing and still be that interesting was very was neat it was really really i don't think i don't think you see that a whole lot that it can just focus on what's going on inside this character's head in the creepiest way like mirrors what the hell man like <laughs> so many different little what the hell moments but um i think for me it's like, I was trying to pair it up as a double feature because I like to sort of figure that out, obviously, with the um, Halloween thing that it, with we put together. Um, but it connects well with Whiplash and, like, that perfectionist, like, the mm -hmm. sort of the duality performing that you have to be a person, but also you kind of have to stop being a functional person in order to be a fully perfect artist and all these things. And that's just a tip of the iceberg that this movie is. And you can spin it around a hundred ways to see a hundred different reasons why they do what they do. Yeah. And then I think it's important to talk about too, like as we continue talking about this um, film, there is very little that could have been done about this film if they didn't have the perfect actress for it. And I believe Natalie Portman like sold this role so well and like she won the Oscar for it for Best Actress and very, very deservedly so, but like I kind of want to talk about like her performance and like what 
like what about her performance was that incredible because it is but kind of what draws us to her performance I mean have you seen her she's beautiful <laughs> <laughs> yeah I I mean I'm not gonna lie I agree <laughs> but like just like that along with that like she fits the role like physically she looks beautiful she fits the role and kind of even in the movie it explores like you make like the perfect white swan but we're not just trying for the white swan we want the black swan too and like watching that transformation happen throughout the film like was incredible yeah there's so in another movie that's similar to this with Birdman there's kind of there's these ironies that that movie plays off of where in that film Michael Keaton plays an ex-superhero actor trying to be taken seriously in real life he's was Batman and now he's in this very serious role like I feel like this movie takes our knowledge of people a little bit like that like Winona Ryder is this um like that was one of her first like coming back to movies and she went from we'd seen her early 2000s late 90s as this even 80s as um like this like the it girl kind of thing and everything and she's so she's what's hot and now she's coming back into this movie and is basically like washed up she does phenomenal so I'm, this isn't like my mm -hmm. commentary on her performance it's like as she comes in um, but Natalie Portman's the same way in that she's kind of like in her perception she's been in a lot of movies where she is that and I mean Star Wars is easy enough to point to because that's so like such a big opener for her but if you look at any of her other films and I know Jackie came after but that's a really good example of like she's this proper she's very cleaned up she's very pure like in this kind of space so basically kind of that art imitating life imitating art circle thing mm -hmm. like they knew what we thought of natalie portman obviously knew that she was incredible enough to pull it off but it's hard to ignore that little space to put into it um and the nuance that she brought in was just really mind-blowing yeah i think even in the way she carries herself throughout the film and like Dylan said you can physically see the transformation happening um not only in uh like cues or visual cues but just in the way that she exists and the way that she carries herself and in the way she even like holds her body you can you can tell and I think it's just really, really interesting. And it's, yeah, I mean, they, they picked someone who was going to really, really dive into this role. Mm -hmm. So well. <laughs> Excellently. And, like, it, I just think to, like, at the end of the movie, like, whenever she's, like, in her dressing room, like, the scenes that happen there, like, you see her portray both the white swan and the black swan, like, within seconds of each mm -hmm. other. And, like, she changes back and forth, and, like, you see some of those flips happen. Um, like, I think specifically of the um, last time we see her in the dressing room, um, right after, um, oh... Lily? Lily, yeah. Right after she shows up, she knocks on the door and goes, hey, you're doing great out there. Like, I'm so glad you were able to make it. And, like, you've been performing great. And, like, I know we haven't been on the best of terms. And, like, you see Natalie Portman just kind of go, wait, I just 
like I had stabbed you earlier. <laughs> like, how are you here? And like, you kind of see that confusion in her face and then she recounts what happened in the room. And then like, you see her, like they pan down and like, you see where she had stabbed herself and like all this craziness is happening and everything she does with her face, like that realization of like, Oh, I'm hurt. Oh, I stabbed myself. Like I have glass in me and like the back and forth that she plays. And then she transitions from this like panicked moment to, well, the show must go on, mm. manages to get her face to portray this. I am over this. Like I am stronger than this and I must be refined and steps that like, and steps down and starts finishing her makeup in her mirror. And like, you see all that transition back and forth and back and forth within that scene excellently. Like, and whenever that came on, like, what were your guys' thoughts as you watched that happen? Well, I think first, well, something to spin off a little bit from what you said, um, and just to more type her up. Um, having someone act without someone else across from them is very difficult and very impressive. Um, the amount of times that it's just her on screen and no one else in the room, mm -hmm. or just her and some alter ego of herself in the room, like, um, and that might be a little bit easier with body doubles and stuff, and there's more action there, but, um, yeah, just going back to the duality of the film and the character and her role, like, it, the only thing I can compare it to is Lupita and Nyong'o and Us, um, where, for her, they actually had to shoot separate days where she was one character and another character, um, and I think that there's... I'm not going to compare the two in any critical way because there's no way to top what yeah. either of them did. Um, but yeah, just to to make those shifts shows like how... The better she does, the more lost the character is. And I think that that's like... It kind of was something that begot itself. So she got to fall deeper into it as the character fell deeper into it. And it just... It just rewarded commitment, and I mean, Hannah, you talked a little bit about how much she did before, mm -hmm. before the film. So, the commitment clearly gave way to so much complexity. Mm. Oh yeah, I'm um, a direction that Toma gives her during a dress rehearsal is in that final scene when she is. Uh, going to the top of the mountain and then she uh, kills herself, a direction that he gives her is you are not fearful but filled with acceptance. And that is precisely what she does when she herself is doing that. Um, and that's just one of the tiny things that <laughs> I love that, um, that I just love how intricate this film is and how um like everything ties back to something else and um also just like in that moment she was the destructive black swan and now she is the white swan still taking direction from someone else and paying for the repercussions of her other self. And so I just, I really love that final scene. And also just how, uh, we kind of talked about this last night, just how ambiguous the film ends. But it's 
It's <laughs> it's not ambiguous, but it's ambiguous enough to make it interesting. <laughs> um, a couple theories have come out about it. Um, I don't adhere to any theory that does not um, end with Nina dies. Um, I think that is the only logical, the only um, practical ending to this film. Um, mm -hmm. So that's, yeah, I love the last couple scenes where she's um, in the theater on opening night. Yeah, I think that one of the things it does so well is draws the lines between um, fantasy and reality and then just spends the rest of the movie blurring them out completely. Because um, we've seen films with stories within stories, we've seen films that like are allegories and things like that. There are films that Darren Aronofsky has made that are direct allegories. Um, but this one, like I said, which I think is his best work that I've seen, um, just benefits so much from that that at the end... Wherever you land, it's so hard to point at what happened here, what happened there, like what these these story beats were, what I mean, like you know, is it like you see in the movie, you see her kill someone and then there's no one there. Like I know remember Jenny we were talking about last night, like the whole scene with her and Winona Ryder in the hospital where she like gives her a knife mm -hmm. and then she sees herself stabbing herself in the face as Winona Ryder, like what actually happened there like there's a lot of these these little spaces where you don't really know um and i think it just uses that to such an advantage in yeah just what you're saying about how she becomes the story the story becomes her really clicked better than i think i've seen any other example of it yeah i want to address that scene really quick Oh, just because, Jenny, you had a really strong reaction. <laughs> <laughs> Which is also, sorry to interrupt, the scene where I was standing in this apartment yelling at them, this is a horror movie, this is a goddamn horror movie, like... Uh, yes, I did, I did stand up and yell. You screamed. I said yes. I'd scream, yes. Uh, I... That jump scare. What? The jump scare at the end of that scene in the kitchen. Yeah, I just... <laughs> I, like I said, I was surprised. I wasn't, I didn't know what to expect. And then when game, or when movies play those little mind games on me, I just, I become very verbally, uh, I don't know what the word Engaged. is. Engaged. Engaged. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I, because I just need to know what's going on and I can't tell what's real or not. Um, but yeah, <laughs> those are also the movies that I very much enjoy. Just. Good little little mind game. Yeah, I'm gonna say that entire like set of scenes, like from her going to the hospital and like returning everything, and then she ends up with the bloodied knife in the elevator, and it's like, nope, I don't want that, and drops it, and then she ends up like back at her house, and like we see uh, one of the writer's character, like Beth, um, like appearing in multiple different areas whenever like she really shouldn't be, and then uh, Nina walks into like her mom's bedroom with all these paintings and. Like, yeah. all of them oh, are, like, yeah. all of them are moving and calling out to her, and, like, it's just, like, this very overwhelming, um, psychotic feeling of, like, I don't know what's happening, and you can tell, like, 
um, the character doesn't know what's going on either. And, like, you can sense that panic. It was very well done. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that's where I talk about, like, it uses the setting enough, but almost never any other place. Like, she gets places that you don't know how she got there. Mm -hmm. Like, they're just... That whole scene, like, just jumps around itself so much. And it's so... It's just insane. And even, like, at the studio, and, like, when they're performing and on stage and everything, like, there's just these little pockets of... I mean, her bedroom was so, like... It was a nine-year-old girl's bedroom that mm -hmm. and a, a full adult woman was staying in. And, like, that was used so well. But there's other scenes where she's in this hospital room and then she's suddenly back home and then she's in this, I guess, her mom paints. Like, it's terrifying. There's so many things going on. Just more of where it blurred that line and just said, deal with this, enjoy it, like, figure it out. Mm -hmm. um, and because I mentioned this on almost every podcast, somehow, I was, I was listening to the horror like progression one that we did earlier today um as far as horror films that deal with mental health right before this jenny was looking up some stuff about it and um basically saw a site that said like there's no way to pinpoint what is going on in nina's mind because there are so many symptoms but i think that this actually benefits from that it doesn't it shows that there's something going on it shows there's a problem um, it doesn't try to make any statements on it. It doesn't try to demonize her for it. Um, and I think it does and doesn't just in that, like, she's fighting herself. And that's very thematic with the movie, not just in the fact that she probably has some kind of mental illness going on. Um, but I did think this was a a little bit more unique, but a much better example than a lot of them, because usually horror films will go with the, um, the twist mental illness, mm -hmm. like... Split or um, Psycho. Like, it's just, oh, gotcha, they're crazy. And, like, this one was, it kind of settled you into the bath of psychosis that she was going through, um, much more to the effect of blurring those lines and putting you in her shoes. And, yeah, as far as, obviously, love every part of this movie, but... Seeing a horror film that deals with that and does it well deserves to be recognized. Yeah, seeing really any movie that kind of handles mental illness delicately and well is something that's pretty rare. And I definitely think, like, they did what they did very intentionally and did it to, like, a point to say, yes, there is something wrong, but no, we're not going to state it. No, we're not going to, like, try to use it against the character. And we're not going to try to use it against people in real life. Um which was just excellent. But, like, even from the beginning of the film, like, you see Nina, and she she still kind of is regressed in this childlike state, and then as things progress, and as you see her seem to mature a little bit, um, it like, you see, like, this mental illness or combination of mental illnesses take effect and um, play a major part in her story and her progression. And... It was just very well done. Yeah. We'll defer the rest of this, that conversation to the experts in the room <laughs> as we both dropped out of grad school. So. <laughs> That's another thing that I really find interesting because especially with the horror genre, it's, um, there's a tendency to 
give a character a mental illness and if not excuse their behavior um just kind of demonize that character mm -hmm. because of the mental illness and um you know demonize the mental illness itself and there are just lots of things that there are lots of tropes that are just really harmful mm -hmm. um and that's something that this movie does so well is because there's clearly something going on there's clearly psychosis there's clearly obsessive tendencies but there's not a clear diagnosis nor does there need to be and i think that's really interesting and yeah all four of us have some sort of mental health background and so i think that's really interesting and i think we have kind of a different perspective on it um just because of our education and i think that that's something that this movie does well is um they they are just characters and these are just things happening and it's not you know we're not going to put a name on it it's just this is what's happening yeah sorry before you go just to because i just had some bounce something to bounce off of that i think that by not naming it it doesn't have the weight of responsibility to like adhering to the true experience of people who go through Absolutely. this stuff. Um, there could be criticisms on using it more for like the, the scary factor, but also that shit's scary. Right. Like people who experience that can experience that in that type of way. And so um, I'm not saying it's the, but for me, it's not like my, my golden, like this is how you should portray mental illness in a horror film. But it's very good. It definitely does a better job. And yeah, it's like it hallucinations and delusions are terrifying. Mm -hmm. Like that's that's mm -hmm. just how it is, and we're gonna portray that. Uh, but yeah, by not putting a name on it, it does kind of you know, it's not it's not harmful to a specific community of people. Yeah. I think that was something that I just picked on picked up on early enough just again being in the midst of grad school and probably psychoanalyzing everyone all the time <laughs> uh, but I really just like the portrayal of it being so much in her head and like with her specifically because I think that can give us a good Again, not that this is, like, the picture-perfect model of what somebody who is experiencing psychosis and hallucinations and delusions struggle with, but it can give us, like, a good look at that internal battle that people who do struggle with this face. And I think from our, like, clinical side, like, those of us who, like, you know, do help people who are struggling with that, like, that can give us that sort of spot to be in um to see for them you know we've talked so much about how like the lines are blurred between fantasy and reality well that's the same thing that a lot of people experiencing psychosis deal with like they don't always know what's going on and what's real and what's not happening and so i just really liked that portrayal because again just focusing on her and her struggling with that 
Yeah, I think that the other part that benefits from that is that it is so ambiguous and it is so hard to mm-hmm. pick out what's real and what's not that it doesn't even attempt, like by not naming it, it doesn't even attempt to say that this is a mental illness. This could just be whatever the hell world we're in in this movie. Mm-hmm. Like this is just For happening. Sure. This is just her falling deeper into the actual story yeah. that she may or may not be a part of that she is fully a part of at the end to the point where as Hannah puts she is dying as the character dies Mm -hmm. like achieving what the character wanted to achieve and it's just it takes that responsibility off like you said Mm -hmm. and that pressure that no this is a mental health movie yeah Uh, yeah and I think oh god no you're fine (laughs) I just and I think something that goes along with that is looking at all of that, specifically mental health in the context of the dance world and specifically the ballet community. Because mm-hmm. I think, again, my limited knowledge and just experience that that c- can be such a harmful environment. And it is almost this white swan, black swan, because there's so much work that goes on to be a professional ballerina. And a lot of it can be psychologically and physically damaging, but then to port- have to portray that pure, innocent, white swan, mm-hmm. um, I think that is another aspect of it, of that ballet itself plays into that, the swan story. Well, I think I'll have a few different thoughts off of that. Um, I'm trying to put them together as I'm stalling this. Um <laughs> I think that that's a little bit part of this movie and a little bit of why it strikes something with us is it's like there's the underlying perfectionism narrative, which is a lot heavier in movies like Whiplash, um, but that's there. Like she says, frequently, I want to be perfect. Mm -hmm. At the end, she says, it was perfect. Like there's, there's that little part of us that's like, hell yeah. Like she did it. Like she died, but she did it. And um, it's so interesting to me how that's incorporated with it because if you want to look deeper into the themes of it then the pursuit of that is horribly deadly in whiplash there's a character who um like an off-screen character who's referenced and actually in a deleted scene um where jk simmons had taught a his character had taught a previous student who was the best he'd ever seen and you find out that 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 student had committed suicide like from the pressure and everything and so both of them push this thing towards, like, you can give up everything to be perfect, or try to be perfect, but it's fleeting, and it's deadly, and there's mm-hmm. all these things. Um, and the second part of that is, I noticed this time a lot better than the first time, that it looks like the entire film is handheld, and by that, like, there's not any stable shots. It's all, like, a little bit wobbly. It's a little bit, um, there's never just a very smooth, stabilized shot, or just a tripod, like, completely static shot, um, which is such an interesting contrast to her wanting to be perfect, that nothing, there's not a single shot that is perfectly still, but that also really represents her life in the entire film in this very chaotic, and that's what those shots are used for anyway, is just to put make you a little bit uneasy. You're on a rocking boat, and just to clash those together shows how, how good of a job they did paying attention to the details of this film and getting wrapped up in that 
Like you can have the down to the camera movements both influence and um, juxtapose the themes and the characters of your movie. Um, have imperfect frames frame your attempting to be perfect protagonist is some um, mm. high level <laughs> film shit. <laughs> yeah, I I absolutely think that um, the ballet aspect is a huge part of the plot line, not just because this is a ballet movie, but I mean, <laughs> it's like the, the narrative of perfection works so well within the uh, ballet community, especially like she, she lives in New York City. She is dancing at a professional company I mean that that is competitive as hell. <laughs> it's a ballerina every other. That's yeah. I mean it's like you'll get eaten alive there, and um, with the body and you know everything is centered around your body, how you carry your body, your body type. If your body type is not this, you're not gonna make a good dancer. Um, that's the narrative of the world of ballet. And you also see her, um, kind of in that a little bit because Nina as the white swan is, uh, she has eating disorders. We see her throw up on several occasions. Mm -hmm. Um, and then... Lily, the black swan, she orders a hamburger at the restaurant and she just kind of does what she wants. And she's not, uh, she's not so focused on the unwritten rules. And so I think that's why the movie works so well is because it is a... It's, it's a ballet movie, and that's very much the culture of dance and also just obsession is frankly what makes ballerinas so good is the obsession. Um, but then obviously we see in the film that that can become incredibly dangerous and deadly. I think one of the things that like... And it's the same tension that you get in a movie like Whiplash. It's just that it's the cost of that. And the director, as the worst person in the film, isn't fully wrong about what she needs from performance. The way he gets it is the worst way possible. Yes. But how he describes it is exactly like that, the duality and the combination of the pure and perfect and the um, reckless and passionate. And like... Basically, that's just how art is criticized, how in everything from literature, film, ballet, like, you see those, and it's just so interesting how it's, it almost weaponizes that, like, mm -hmm. that mentality, um, and I think it has to because it can't just, it's irresponsible to put that on such a high pedestal, um, but also that is kind of how it is, like, when you see people who have achieved that level of something, it's that obsessive dedication, it's that 
that's something special that you can't teach kind of thing and everything else. And, um, it comes at a cost. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's kind of, there's a little bit of a warning in all the themes of the movie with that, just in the, like, at what cost are we pursuing this? Like how, what do we gain? What do we lose here? Is it really worth it? Like she gives, presumably she gives one performance and dies. Like what's her whole life worth leading up to just giving this perfect performance as it can be recognized, like, and this could be applied to actual uh, actors or musicians that passed away much younger than they probably should have due to whatever, mm-hmm. anything that could have happened with it. But just, I think it hand, the, the film handled it with enough care. Um, and I also think that it didn't romanticize or demonize it too terribly to try to impose itself on you. Um, but if you really sit down and think about it, you have to weigh both of those and you'll never balance that scale. Yeah, I think one of the one of the interesting things to me is um, how how she tries and fails to balance that scale because she is kind of caught between this director who is just the worst and (laughs) so incredibly toxic and um, a predator and um, you know but. Like you said, he is not wrong in his criticism, and he is not wrong to compare her to other dancers because that that is how you survive in a New York ballet company is yeah. you, you know, if you are not competitive, you will not last. And, you know, he he is correct that she needs to lose herself in the art and that it is her control that is holding her back. Um, But he is, you know, of course, incredibly toxic. Um, But then you have her mom, who, if if her mom had her way, Nina would be perpetually 10 years old Mm -hmm. and uh, never leave the house and only do exactly what mommy wanted her to do. So, um, and, you know, a couple times she says, you know, I think the pressure of this role is just too much for you. I think, you know, maybe, you know, it's not so bad to dance a secondary part. Um, And, you know, I think that there is some validity in that and trying to encourage her to go easier on herself and not work herself so hard and, you know, prioritize her physical and mental health. But her mom is so toxic also that um, she's not able to find a healthy balance. So she just completely goes off the deep end. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and, like, in talking with her mom, like you said, if it was up to her mom, like, she'd be 10 years old perpetually. I think, I honestly think that if it was up to her mom, like, she wouldn't, like, Nina wouldn't have been there because she was, she herself was a dancer. And, like, Nina references that, like, oh, yeah, like, you know, I'm, I'm living your dream and you are living it through me. Like, what, like, you always wanted this, like, you always wanted me to dance. So, like, why now are you telling me to hold back and things like that? And... Mm -hmm. Just that entire, like, their entire dynamic is very messed up. 
and like the deeper it goes like Nina's mom keeping her perpetually 10 that then means like as she gets older she's not able to properly handle some stressors in her life and like it holds her back not only like in like what I said earlier like you see Nina and she's like she always like refers to her mom as mommy and like talks mm -hmm. like very childlike and has that innocence of, like the innocence of a child and acts very pure um, and that's just because like her mom kind of always kept her that sheltered her bedroom looks like a 10 year old's bedroom and mm -hmm. um, never really changes and like you don't ever see like you never see anything about Nina that says I have matured out of childhood outside of the fact that she is a grown woman and so like her getting this part and then not being able to like figure out how to balance the pressures in her life like a large portion of that comes back to her mother babying her and so she's got this like I am 10 year old mentality while also trying to be a perfect white swan and a seductive black swan mm -hmm. simultaneously and whenever you kind of combine all of that like you can kind of see where like where things started and how they got there it all makes sense that yeah like she's gonna end up very fucked up and trying to pursue this role and pursuing mm -hmm. any role really um just kind of from where she started at and then there's one other thing i want to talk about real quick before we wrap up the technicality like kind of how kevin was talking about like the attention to detail there are so many mirrors and there is so <laughs> much room for error with like cameramen and set men um, just making an appearance in a mirror and nobody catching it or anything like that. Like, how, like, that, the thought of trying to coordinate with that many mirrors and that many reflections and just even, like, the use of mirrors in certain scenes um, to kind of reflect, like, is this real or is this not? Like, that balance was so delicate and how well they used, like, just the idea of a mirror being somewhere and the different scenes involving that where like Nina's standing in the mirror in the dressing room and like she moves her arm up and then the image in front of her doesn't and then does it delayed. Um, and like some of the details like that just impressed me with how this movie went about portraying some of those things. So any thoughts? <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's a lot of little technical things like you said. I mean, the transformation that she, when she turns into the swan is remarkable. The sound is great. Um, yeah, I mean, like I said earlier, it's just the details that elevated that extra little bit in an already very interesting and thought-provoking story. I mean, the sound is the biggest thing for me personally. I just think that everything, I mean, the, the sound design, the sound editing, the score, it's all just it's it's beautiful and it's all purposeful like every single sound in that film has a purpose and it signifies something and it ties back to something else and it sets up this thing that's going to happen and it's just so remarkable how the sound comes together it was perfect. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think the biggest one for me is um, probably the scene after Nina and Lily go out 
um, like go out to the club and Nina comes home and she's like very obviously drunk and her and her mother kind of get in that argument but like there's the mirror on the wall and we see like Nina walk in and Lily kind of cut across the room in the mirror and like it matches up with Nina's reflection as she does it and like that crossing over and like just the the thought behind like if we have her cross at this time it will look like their two reflections come into one as Lily is hiding and then as you later find out like Lily was never there like the intentionality behind that mm -hmm. just it just made me like every time I see that scene like it gives me goosebumps thinking about how how much detail they put into that but yeah, any other final thoughts before we wrap up? Um, yeah, it's really good. Um, <laughs> if you have not seen it and you made it this far, you should go watch it. Mm -hmm. um, I think, kind of if you spin off it a little bit, um, something that came to mind as we were having talking about the the ideas of perfection and the cost of it and everything, um, Kyle and I were talking about a little, a little bit ago this Orson Welles interview where someone asked him... Um, did you ever give up using someone who may be better to put a friend in a role? He said, frequently. He said, did you ever regret putting a friend in a role or in a, um, in a crew role um, than putting someone better? He said, frequently. <laughs> but he talked about like the, the balance in that and how, and he, this is the guy who made Citizen Kane. Like he talked the perfect American, like, film that's always on the number one of whatever and everything um but talked about the balance in that and how like you have to have it be fun with friends like you have to go and try to make the best thing that you can but like you can't you can't sacrifice everything in order to just get this one thing um some people may say that you can um i think this movie and whiplash say that you can with a very very heavy price so I think that's a fun debate thing in it, but it, that just that stuck out to me as a an interesting response to this film from a long time ago, but mm -hmm. a response nonetheless. So it's really good. Now the Gorman's amazing, and it's everyone does really well. Yeah. 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 Uh, so I have two kind of final thoughts. Uh, the first one is this movie has been for several years and will continue to be probably forever like in my top three really almost always you ask me my favorite movie this is my like knee-jerk response is I I love this movie um this podcast could be like another hour and a half <laughs> and I would still be talking about it um so yeah, I love this movie. Um, and my second and final and probably most important thought is uh, Mila Kunis and Black Lingerie. That's all. <laughs> Excellent thoughts. Jenny's just gesturing her arms mm -hmm. like she agrees Can't with everything. <laughs> it was perfect. It, it was, was perfect. perfect. So um, I just want to thank everyone for being here. Uh, thank you guys for talking. Um, thank you to B2B Films for supporting us. Uh, special thanks to all our loyal listeners, and don't forget to leave a comment so you can join in the discussion. Every like, comment, and share really helps us out, so a huge thank you to everyone who follows us on Facebook and Twitter at Sit Down For Real. We'll save your seat for next time. Thanks.
Goodbye.